Right here, right now, every day. CIUT 89.5 Toronto. Sound of your city. I'm Zach Morgenstern. We have an interview with the band Good Kid coming up this hour, so stay with us. It's going to be awesome.
Welcome to the show. That song is from the soundtrack of the film School of Rock. That's with Jack Black. You're listening to Leading Tone on CIUT 89.5, the show that brings you the rhythm behind the revolution. I'm Fraser Allen Best. I'm Zach Morgenstern. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the studio. It's a very special episode of Leading Tone. We're going to have some guests stopping by a bit later on in studio. That's the Toronto indie band Good Kid. They'll be here with us in studio, so stay tuned for that. Today we're going to be talking about really two topics, education and the job market, uh, and taking a look at how those two fit together. Now, right now in Canada, Canada has a real shortage of people with technical degrees. We're talking trades and things like technical sciences, things like computer sciences. That's uh, uh, everything ranging from electronics to computer programmers. Uh, things that involve hands-on training, things that lead right into a profession. So, you know, to any extent that we can say Canada is in charge of educating people, we can say that Canada is not steering people to fill the jobs that actually exist. Speak for yourself. Okay, but now the way governments control these things is pretty simple and it's pretty easy to correct for. Usually uh, when they want... Uh, more people to receive a certain type of training. They subsidize that training, apply a market tweak, push down that cost of getting trained as an electrician, for example, or going to computer science as another example, uh, to the point that it's just about free. Now, and that, you know, the free market can kind of do the rest from there. People will flock to that sort of training and then move into the job market with that sort of training, filling out jobs as electricians or, or any other degree that we necessarily need. Now, of course, it's not completely this simple. It's possible to go too far on that scale and get situations like, you know, North Korean situations where people are given a, not given a diversified education at all. They're, uh, you know, trained from, from, from the time they're a child, from primary school until they're 30 to play the violin, for example, and steered into a career where they can play beautiful songs for the supreme leader, uh, but are deprived of an education to be able to think critically or do much else. There is obviously some value in having an education that is rounded, since generally an educated population is better than the opposite. But I think that by the time a student reaches the post-secondary level and they're an adult focused on getting an education to earn a wage, the government shouldn't be getting in their way to make it harder for them to become employable, to make them less employable. Okay, but Fraser, I think this is a very narrow-minded approach. So what you're doing is you're essentially equating a number of different problem. So you know, one problem that you're sort of hinting at is the accessibility of education. And I think government should fund education across the board. So, you know, we don't have prices that reach American levels. I think that should be an independent consideration of exactly what jobs. Obviously, that's a point of disagreement, but I still think you're conflating a number of unrelated problems here. So there is a trades jobs defi deficit right now. And to be clear, that's it's a very broad definition of trades. You, you can't simplify that stat down to a few professions. And that's a problem. And the government should play a role in addressing that. But addressing that problem is not going to solve unemployment, which is what you're sort of hinting at when you're saying the government is messing up for people. Because what government pushing people into certain jobs doing in favor of them is it creates a glut somewhere else than there is now. And people growing up in a different generation will face different kinds of competition, different kinds of limits in the job market. Because let's face it, a sort of limit of the capitalist system, a system based on inequality, a system based on competition, a system based on not everyone having being able to have something is unemployment. 
Uh, so if, if you want people to help get be helped to get jobs from their post-secondary education, simply saying more of them should go into the trades, maybe very short term, long term, you're not going to do anything like that. There are countries that have solved the problem of unemployment. There's virtually mm. no unemployment in Cuba right now. There was virtually no unemployment in East Germany. The former East Germany, might I add, which is a critical point to remember. I, well, my stance is that those domestic aims are fine. You know, if it weren't for rivaling economies that make it pretty much impossible to sustain an economy that doesn't fill the roles that you need to be filled. And if Canada can't coordinate in educating certain sectors, we all just lose. You know, China, for example, is consistently turning out the top computer scientists on a level that far surpasses both the United States and Canada. So, well, right now we're talking about raising employment. If we don't reinforce the tech sector fast, those jobs will be gone and likely we'll never get them back. By fixing the problem, you know, it's, it isn't all that hard to do. It means offering subsidies to attract people to stable tech jobs, or at the very least, starting to include things like computer programming as a language taught at the you know primary level, which is something the Ontario government is already looking into doing. You know, because whether we like it or not, the global market is not that forgiving. And when it comes to things like you know the next frontier of innovation, which we all can agree is uh, going to be in the tech sector with kind of computer programming jobs, if Canadians don't have the proper training, our economy will pay the price. And on that note, here is an overly heavy-handed song, perhaps, about the dangers of being under-trained for a specific profession. Here is Stan Rogers with, uh, it's White Squall. You're listening to CIUT 89.5. Now it's just my luck to have the watch with nothing left to do but Watch the deadly waters glide as we roll north to the Sioux I wonder when they'll turn again and pitch us to the rail And whirl off one more youngster in the rail The kid was so damn eager, it was all so big and new Never had to tell him twice or find him work to do. And evenings on the mess deck, he was always first to sing. The choice pictures of the girl he'd read in spring. But I told that kid a hundred times, don't take the lakes for granted. They go from calm to a hundred knots, so fast they seem enchanted. But tonight some red-eyed wiretoo girl lies staring at the wall And her lover's gone into a white squall Now it's a thing that us old-timers know in the sultry summer calm There comes a glow from nowhere and it goes off like a bomb And a fifteen thousand tonner Can be thrown upon her beam While the gale takes all before it with a scream The kid was on the hatches Lying staring at the sky From where I stood I swear I could see tears fall from his eyes So I hadn't the heart to tell him that he should be on a line Even on a night so warm and kind But I told that kid a hundred times Don't take the lakes for granted 
They go from calm to a hundred knots So fast they seem enchanted But tonight some red-eyed, wired and girl Lies staring at the wall And her lover's gone into a white squall When it struck, he sat up with a start I roared to him, get down But for all that he could hear I could as well not make a sound So I clung there to the stanchions And I felt my face go pale As he crawled hand over hand along the rail Now I could feel her healing over With the fury of the blow I watched the rail go under then so terrible and slow Then like some great dog she shook herself and roared upright again Far over side I heard him call my name But I told that kid a hundred times don't take the licks for granted They go from calm to a hundred knots so fast they seem enchanted but tonight some red-eyed wired and girl lies staring at the wall And her lover's gone into a white squall <laughs> That was Stan Rogers. He's apparently a favorite of one of our guests, though you wouldn't know that if we didn't tell you that based on the music you're gonna here in a bit, but uh, more on that later. You're listening to Leading Tone on CIUT 89.5. I'm Zach Morgenstern. And I'm Fraser Allen Best. So Fraser, before the break, was talking about falling behind other countries in terms of tech education. The debate we're essentially having today is about visions for education. Fraser's not a big fan of the government funding things in general, so he's arguing, you know, I'm sort of in, okay with it for education, but only for sort of very specific degrees that lead people towards jobs. Now, to be fair to Fraser, there are two different versions of this argument. There's the more reasonable one, which Fraser is raising, which Thank is that you. we should have, you know, more tech ed in general in all levels of schooling. And then you also come across a more obnoxious variant that blames young people not getting jobs on not knowing tech, on not deciding to study engineering when you get to post-secondary. And, you know, in case it's not clear, I find that perspective obnoxious because, you know, you can't magically learn tech at 18 when you haven't been taught to think that way throughout the development years. I would absolutely agree mm. there's a, a, a deficiency in how this kind of stuff is taught in school. And it's it's not because arts kids don't try and take initiative, like a, a, a personal anecdote that I always like to bring up is when I was in eighth grade, my school had a robotics club. I wanted to learn to build robots. You know, I, I wanted to have lots of different interests. I showed up there and the sort of the approach of the techie culture was either you knew how to build robots and you built robots there, or they just threw, threw you some gears and you're on your own. That's, you know, that's a problem in our society that I think we can, we can, we can talk about addressing on both sides of this particular debate. But yeah, no, continue. Yeah, but as for Fraser's particular approach, okay. I, I, I think Fraser is, the problem with Fraser saying that, you know, we, we have to only fund certain degrees to make sure there's sort of a more useful direction of employment in society, I think he's connecting disconnected problems because teaching young people tech will not fix unemployment because, you know, unemployment is a contextual problem and, you know, educational advantages 
are relative. If if we live in a world where you know every kid is is taught coding from an elementary school age, that's not going to be an advantage in the job market anymore, which I think really throws Fraser's argument away. For someone like me, I'm saying that's absolutely not a reason, you know, not to teach tech at an early age. I think everyone should have as many educational advantages as possible. That's social progress when 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 the bottom advances, not when the most competitive members of society advance. So I say let's let's defend the funding of education and let's not make it about creating jobs because it's not going to do that. You're not going to solve unemployment under capitalism. Let's make education about holistic advantages, levering society in as many ways as we possibly can. I know, Fraser, you're going to want to say why I, you disagree. Right. I, I Well, I okay. So first, let me be charitable and say that I agree with, with a good portion of that. I think there is a place for, for kind of holistic education, but I think it exists before the post-secondary level. I think the, the post-secondary level is when we're trying to move people into jobs, into the job market. It's kind of the last phase of the uh, of the the process uh, in moving people from, you know, be the before to the after stages of education because education has a purpose. And I think, you know, the idea of having non-targeted education doesn't actually make a whole lot of sense. I hear the enrichment argument, as I, as I said a second ago, you know, we want to generally educate the populace pretty broadly on the basis that, you know, all boats rise with the tide. But that idea is divorced from economic reality. Yes, for some portion of the population, university has value because it's intellectually uh, enriching. But I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, people we don't always hear from necessarily are interested in university as a way of segueing into a job, as a means of economic mobility. There's an argument to be made for educating people the same regardless of their intended, intended career. But I think what that can leave you with is situations like the case of Cuba. Now, I know you like Cuba, but Cuba is known for extremely well-educated prostitutes. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't deny that there's value in, in prostitutes and everyone being educated, but I think it's a sign of an education system that is working, well, I should say not working effectively. You know, when you have lots of people receiving the same education and it's not helping them get anywhere, when, you know, when it comes to balancing educational training and the jobs that are available, the government has only limited control over what jobs need to be filled, you know, and, and mostly it's the free market that makes these sorts of decisions. So, you know, for a bunch of good reasons, the government stepped in and started subsidizing and shaping education, you know, that side of the equation. Yeah, and that's fine. I think that if government is interfering, but I think, you know, I think if government is interfering in the needs of, uh, of education, you need to make sure it's doing it properly and that it keeps education in balance with the jobs that exist on the market. Right now, I don't think we're doing that. And when education and jobs are not in balance, that's when you get bad results. That, so that's when you get serious low employment that's irreversible. And that's, you know, that's, that's not the only risk. It can, you know, it can also drive up the cost of you know, hiring a tradesperson, which is another bad market distortion that you want to avoid. And it's also the focus of our next song. Now, uh, this is not Stan Rogers, although Nick, I hope you appreciated that. That I should remind you, we're going to be we're going to be joined in just a few moments by uh, by the band Good Kid. Um, but for now, here is the song, the 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 talking song repair blues. Long song title by Alan Jackson. You listen to CIUT 89.5. This is Leading Tone. The mechanic raised up from under my hood and he shook his head and said, This ain't good. Timing belts done shrunk, one size too small. Those spark plug wires are a little too long and your main prod spawner's nearly gone. Your injector ports are stripped and that ain't all. Torque converters running low on the torque, and that water pump's nearly down a quarter. 
we caught it all in time, so you're in luck. He said, I've got the time and I've got the parts. Just give me the word and I'm ready to start. I think we can bring her in for 800 bucks. But don't be downhearted, I can fix it for you, sonny. It won't take too long, it'll just take money. He said, aren't you that songwriter guy? And I said, yes, I am. He said, so am I. He sat down and played me a song by the grease rack. When he finished singing, he gave me a smile. And I closed my eyes and pondered a while. And he said, what do you think? And I don't hold nothing back. Well, I gave him my most sorrowful look. And I said, this song's got a broken hook. But I can order you a new one from Nashville, but it won't be cheap. I know you've been using a cut rate thesaurus cause your adverbs are backed up into your course. Now your verse is running on verbs that are way too weak. But don't be downhearted, I can fix it for you, sonny. It won't take too long, it'll just take money. And I said, hold on friend, I'm not through. I hate to be the one to give you this news, but your whole melodic structure's done worked itself loose. It's got so many dotted eighth notes in it, I keep her under 50 beats per minute. I mean, that's just me talking, it's really up to you. You've got a bad safety problem with that dominant chord with the augmented fifth. Just see how dangerously high it raises you up. Just go on over and work on my car. I'll sit here by the fan, and chances are I can straighten this thing out for a uh, 900 bucks. But don't be downhearted, I can fix it for you, Sonny. It won't take too long. You guessed it. Yeah, it may be a hit. I like it. Welcome back to the studio. That was the Talking Song Repair Blues by Alan Jackson. You're listening to CIUT 89.5. This is Leading Tone. I'm Fraser Allen Best. I'm Zach Morgenstern. We'll be interviewing the local band Good Kid in a, f- in a few minutes. And we've been discussing, you know, visions for what education funding, sort of very broadly speaking, should look like in this country and maybe around the world. As always, if you want to share thoughts on that, share thoughts on the show in general, you can hit us up on Twitter. That's at Leading Tone CIUT or on Facebook, that's Leading Tone on 89.5 FM CIUT. Lead it, look us up on either medium. We'll be glad to hear from you. So before the break, Fraser made some comments about how if you have societies where you educate everyone well, you end up with, quote unquote, like well-educated prostitutes, <laughs> sex, sex workers, whatever the right. term is, term you prefer. That's that's a debate for another day, frankly. You know, he said that was a problem in Cuba. You know, never mind that brothels being shut down was a key thing that happened after the revolution. But I, I think the, 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 the real central point here is that education equals power. Yes, not every degree leads directly to a particular job, but there's no doubt it confers some 
social advantages, you know, whether it's having better writing skills for addressing certain audiences, better connections, better rhetorical skills, familiarity with a greater range of debates, having met certain people who are connected. No doubt education broadly equals some form of social power. So while Fraser may scoff at the idea of well-educated waiters or whatever the job may be, I, I, th I, I, think, I think there's a sort of accidental elitism in that because essentially what he's saying is that if you're on a lower social rung you deserve a, an additional disadvantage as well you know no. only people who are already doing well you know doctors lawyers businessmen they should be educated but if you're a waiter if you're someone working in the sex trade if you're a mechanic no way you should be educated and he sort of doubts that a lot of those people want education which Not i also think I saying. is you no, know an no. unfair assumption are you going to jump in with anything? Well, okay. I, I think, no, that's not exactly what I'm saying. You know, it's not about, I think you're, you're suggesting that that we want, you know, we don't want to be giving some people a good education, the others a bad education. But I think, you know, it's not about good and bad education. It's about educations that, that make you money and education that doesn't. Those are kind of the two categories we should be looking at. You know, there's a lot... Uh, there's there's not a hierarchy uh, that you think there is. You know, electricians are some of the best paid people right now with some of the most job security on the market. And it's not what we're, you know, it's not what we're training for. Instead, we're flooding the market with art students who are educated but can't find jobs. But and that does nothing, everyone a disservice. The everyone. problem, again, as I've been saying again and again, there is nothing inherent about being an electrician and making money. There's a shortage in that area right now. But once we start telling people this is where you go get jobs, just as once upon a time we were telling people just get a Bachelor of Arts or a Bachelor of Science to get jobs, a glut will form. The problem of yeah. unemployment is bigger than that. So I think we should defend education more broadly because just because certain degrees do not look convenient for employment right now does not at all negate the values which we stood up for them for in, in the first place. Oh, but wait, I I agree. Yes, we push people into being electricians. It could create a glut there. And I'm, you know, if we sh push more people into to training to be an electrician, there may be too many of those. But that's part of why I think it needs to be, you know, we need, we need to be consistently calibrating and balancing, you know, the jobs we educate for and the, the, the jobs that exist. I think right now there's a mismatch and that is a problem. Right. But unless you want a planned economy, and I don't believe you do, you said that earlier in the show, you, you have to consider that all degrees have their job values in certain times and places. And even today, this assumption that arts degrees are, are useless is not true because, you know, there are globe op-eds about this. A lot of what employers are looking for is just that you had the skills to get through an undergrad. You know, I've t heard people who won't hire secretaries that don't have bachelor's degrees. It's not because you need a bachelor's to be a secretary, but it provides a certain useful education and it makes that job better performing. That argues against your point. You know, it, it is an example that shows that we're not education educating efficiently, that we've diluted the market. You admit that people don't need a bachelor's degree to be a secretary, but that the market by over-educating has created that standard, educating people in a way that adds an extra hoop for employers to expect without actually adding any relevant skills. We're over-educating people broadly, but not specifically educating them enough. Your point is, is absurd. Okay, so it, what it sounds like you're saying is education, you know, Every skill from literacy to advanced thinking that it's somehow a job killer because it creates inequalities in societies. And rather than wanting to ameliorate these inequalities and provide that access to education to everyone, you're just saying, you know, cut it all together because I can't connect it to my narrow sort of neoliberal vision of what employability looks like. But there are still voices 
sort of on your side of the political divide who are saying, wait a minute, let's not throw arts degrees away. One of them is Fareed Zakaria of CNN, not exactly a bleeding heart lefty. And he recently wrote a whole book in defense of liberal arts educations. And he had this great quotation in it where he says, the crying need in the United States right now is not to remind people that computers are important. You know, everyone knows that. All, there are all these surprisingly young people doing everything on smartphones, knowing how to code these days. The crying need is to remind them that in addition to computers, it's actually important to also know how to write, to read novels, to know something his about history and also know right. about basic science. But we, we cannot afford to negate the liberal arts. I think the system is doing their best to do that. We do not need your perspective right now. We need to defend the arts and the I, social context. I don't disagree with you on that. I, but I think there is something to be done on the post-secondary level, and, and this is it. You know, here I think that a broad education only has importance to a very narrow band of jobs when it comes to the post-secondary level. The example that you used earlier was a secretary, which you know is still a white-collar job, but I doubt if anyone cares if their plumber uh, has a lot of knowledge about you know critical race race theory before hiring them. It, it's it's practical skills that we need to be training. Yeah, well, I want a world where workers can use their knowledge of critical race theory to give the middle finger to their employers. <laughs> anyway, this next song speaks to my vision for education. It specifically protests the American culture of standardized testing. Here's Tom Chapin with Not on the Test on CIUT 89.5. You're listening to Leading Tone. Bill. Go on to sleep now, third grader of mine. The test is tomorrow, but you'll do just fine. It's reading and math, forget all the rest. You don't need to know what is not on the test. Each box that you mark on each test that you take Remember your teachers, their jobs are at stake Your score is their score, but don't get all stressed They'd never teach anything not on the test The school board is faced with no child left behind with rules but no funding, they're caught in a bind. So music and art and the things you love best are not in your school cause they're not on the test. Sleep, sleep, and as you progress, you'll learn there's a lot that is not on the test. Debate is a skill that is useful to know. Unless you're in Congress or talk radio Where shouting and spouting and spewing are blessed Cause rational discourse was not on the test Thinking's important, it's good to know how And someday you'll learn to, but someday's not now Go on to sleep now, you need your rest. Don't think about thinking, it's not on the test. All 
All right. So uh, welcome back to the show today. On the show, a thing we've been hyping a, a lot so far. I'm sure you heard both Zach and I talk about it already. Today on the show, we'll be talking to the Toronto band Good Kid, the band that, you know, it's made up of five members, all of whom have some connection to computer science, and one of which the connection is kind of foggy. Um, you know, whether it's a degree or a hobby, uh, uh, at least four or five of them, have completed a, uh, a hackathon recently, and they won that particular coding contest, and they won a trip to, to Korea, not the Korea, not the Korea I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, I assume the other Korea, uh, for another such contest. That particular contest never happened, but on top, uh, you know, on, on that trip, the band, uh, which had only recently been formed, became far more cohesive, and when they got back, all five of them, uh, they were ready to take off, releasing their first single, Nomu, online, uh, having... Just dipped their toe in the water, though they were pulled in when the song uh, gained you know, more than thirty thousand uh, views on YouTube and was added to a curated list on Spotify, which is a big deal. You know, as we're talking about uh, the tech sector and the importance of uh, of of tech, that is the way that things are going. Spotify is a pretty big deal, uh, and if you're a music listener out there, you know that. Um, and you know, since that it was uploaded to Spotify and curated on Spotify, it has received more than one hundred thousand streams. And the uh, the music is you know it's it's a striking fusion of kind of their their techie background with an artistry that comes out in a dynamic and exciting style uh, and the style is most easily characterized although Zach and I have talked a lot about how exactly we classify it you know I think it's we settled on it's kind of a contrast between digital sounding instrumentals and this kind of manic emotive vo vocals that uh, that you'll hear in a second. And that sound is hard to define, but you know we've both colloquially termed this uh, nerd pop when we were talking about it earlier. Uh, and we'll, we'll let you decide for yourself, and we'll have three of the five members in studio. In fact, one is calling in, so two in studio, one calling in. Uh, so without further ado, I should stop uh, rambling. Here is their single that I just spoke of a second ago. Here is Nomu from the band Good Kid. You're listening to CIUT 89.5. It's not a 
Urbane Cyclist is an employee-owned bike shop open until 7 p.m. most days. Located just west of Spadina, students save 10% in-store. Some conditions apply. Or shop online 24-7 at urbanecyclist.com. Right here, right now, every day. CIUT 89.5, Toronto. Sound of your city. Welcome back. We are joined in studio right now by Michael and David from the band Good Kid. Hello to you both. Hello. Hi. And uh, and we should also be joined by Nick via telephone. Nick, are you there? Yeah. Hey, how's it going? Fantastic. So it's good to good to see all three of you. I guess not see. Uh, uh, Nick, it's good for you to call in. All right. So uh, this is a good slice of Good Kid. This is uh, three of the five members, of course, minus uh, John and Jacob. We were saying all all five names are very biblical sounding, uh, but but John and Jacob couldn't join us today. So uh, so these are the three of five. So the majority. Um, so you'll have to speak on their behalf, the three who are here. Um, so that track we just heard is your debut single, uh, Nomu. When, when was that released? Uh, about seven months ago. It was on October 12th, the day before my birthday, actually. Right. So then it, uh, and, and I assume you were, uh, uh, given that it was kind of your first song to release, you were a bit surprised by the sudden uh, <laughs> rush of views that you got to that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely surprised for sure. All right, so good. Um, I mean, so this might be a strange question, but based on my um, very limited knowledge of Japanese that comes from working at a Japanese restaurant, I know that the word nomu means drink in Japanese. Is that is that what you're thinking, or am I totally off base? And yeah, no, that is that is actually what we're thinking. Uh, this is kind of a funny story to how that how that got the name. Right. Uh, we were playing that song, and it, it it sounds a little bit like a one of the licks in it sounds a little bit like this Japanese rap song. Okay. Uh, called called Nomu by a guy called Shinzo Dopeness. Uh, and so I, at one point, I like jokingly started singing it over top of it, and I was kind of with the name Nomu. Uh, it's a little bit funny because the song is kind of about like ambiguity and not really understanding what, what people are talking about and not really like seeing eye to eye on stuff. Um, and so to have a have a word like to name it after something that we only sort of understand the meaning of, like we don't, like, <laughs> we thought it was kind of fitting, so we kept it. Uh, is any reason why that particular Japanese artist stuck out? Like, why? Why did you go there at all? Is just because you liked it? Was that the only reason? Yeah, yeah. Because Chin's a dopeness. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> his, his name literally means enshrined dopeness. Like he's he's dope. I, I promise. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think. Uh, He'll be happy to hear he's dope. Is yeah, that- yeah, yeah. To sort of follow up on that thread, uh, you, you've called uh, Nomu your most complicated song. So, what does that mean? And since Fraser's a ridiculous reference somehow came true. I'll, I'll give this one a shot. Is the repeated falls apart a uh, Chinua Achebe reference? No. No, it's not. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. Swing and a miss. Yeah, good try. Um, can I just take a second to thank you guys for playing Stan Rogers, by the way? Oh, nice. Really made, I'm glad really you liked that. that yes, that, that was, yeah, yeah very intentional. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, but so, so with, with the track Nomu, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was called your most complicated song. Yeah, so is that lyrically? Is that is that a sort of musical conception kind of question? Like that that was that was a statement that came up in an earlier interview. So what, what is wait, what wait, is complexity? Wait, which one was Michael? Did you say that? I that? don't remember ever hearing that before. <laughs> if it's complicated, I think it's complicated because it took so long for us to actually make it. Because uh, right. we spent years, I guess, like writing this song. Like Jacob, our guitarist, he. He came up with the original riff, 
and we all just kind of built around it. He the the song wasn't even um an originally given to this band. It was like sort of like it was it was jamming with our old band and then it became this new band and then and then the song just kept changing and changing and changing um until finally it got to um our producer Crispin who was able to sort of help us like piece things together and just it everything just kind of came together um at some point and i guess right. the complexity would be i guess how well yeah to how pick up on, on, it, on it being complex um at the very least something i was struck by when listening to it is that you have this very solid wall of sound of a, you know it's, it's a very complicated background sound that you have over that track was putting that together which i'm sure is a very difficult thing to do is that something that you have, have been kind of doing all along or, or is it was it a particular effort for this particular track to make that sort of wall of sound noise, which is pretty So I don't know, think it's powerful. actually a wall of sound. Basically what happened was um, very intentionally we decided to make uh, the, all the instruments interact with each other. So right. the bass often doesn't do the traditional bass line, low end kind of stuff. It plays a lot of melodies. So a lot of harmonies are going on and there's just so much going on that that m defines our good kid sound instrumentally. Uh, so there's no like any kind of production in the background. There's no synths or anything that was th thrown in. So what you hear in that record is what we do live as well. So we should go over what instruments. I, I realize we've missed this so far. The instruments. So you're on bass. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so everyone else in the band, can we just get a quick rundown of who is on what? Uh, well, I'm I'm on guitar and uh, backup vocals. Uh, we Nick. Uh, I'll let you chime yeah. in for yours. Uh, yeah, I I only sing. <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> so uh, I do. <laughs> Right, your instrument is your is your voice, but uh, the and so the, and the two who aren't here, uh, that's Jacob and he plays guitar, and then John, our drummer. And so 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 you got you got two guitar, a bass, vocals, drummer, and and with that you've made a really complex sound. And I think um, you know we both felt that they had this sort of kind of video gameish feel, which is interesting <laughs> because it's it's you know just by listening to the instruments you have it's it's not instruments that you think you can easily make that that video gameish feel. It's uh, it's not as you said. It doesn't doesn't include a synth. It's uh, um, but we both kind of had that sort of impression. It's, you know, it was similar to a lot of kind of eight bit Mario type stuff. Yeah. Uh, at well, least in its feel. Is that I something think, that you were going for? Well, I think we've definitely all been inspired by it. Like whether or not it was intentional, I'm not sure. But we, right. I mean, we all play. We all grew up with video games. We all like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm still playing it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it, Minecraft I think it's even more obvious in the in the next song you're about to hear because um, a lot of the songwriting happens for me in GarageBand where right. I play around with MIDI notes, uh, making melodies, and then later translate that to real instruments. And when you have MIDI notes, kind of uh, yeah. the same MIDI uh, sounds that you hear in video games come up. Uh, Michael will often send us tracks that he's working on, and it's great. But it sounds like it. Could, it sounds like Donkey Kong. <laughs> it sounds like it's a soundtrack for a video game. So the writing process is kind of like that. The writing process is a lot of, you know, it, it's you having kind of components that you want to add, or is that how it? It really depends. Uh, recently, recently, a lot of it changed. So Nick now, now that he lives in Waterloo, he brought some instruments with him. So he'll come back. Uh, every week and and present us like something new he's been working on uh sometimes we'll all come up with our with our own like riffs and melodies and uh you know put them together either on a laptop or just get together and play them and send them to each other so sometimes it starts with instrumentation sometimes it starts with more like lyrics and guitar 
Sure. So, well, before we get too far away from uh, the video game theme and uh, your new single, Atlas, which you just mentioned, uh, you actually announced the release of Atlas with a Pokemon-style animation in which the cartoon for Nomu <laughs> is depicted as evolving uh, into Atlas. So I'm, I was wondering if you're trying to build a sort of niche image for yourself. You know, David Bowie will be remembered as the space guy. Jimmy Buffett is the getting drunk in Florida guy. Or are you the, you know, the, the video game band? I don't think we've ever said it out loud. But maybe. <laughs> I think maybe that's our intention. We, we've just never yeah. sort of like confirmed it amongst each other. I think other. that's just like what we talk about and what we joke about. And when we have a joke, it just turns into a video and yeah. then it's on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that video was all Michael doing. Yeah, yeah the, the Pokemon video free. was yeah. like Michael messaged us on uh, Slack and he was like, guys, I'm going to do the Pokemon video. Just give me an hour. And we were like, no way. There's no way you can do this and pull this off in an hour. And then he sent it to us. And I was like, oh, my God. It's actually really, I loved it. <laughs> it's really great. Oh, we had a great time. Yeah. Right. And you played a pretty strange show. I, I don't know Michael was mentioning before the show, a show that you played this weekend. Oh, yeah. yeah we played <laughs> an amateur it. pro wrestling show. <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, yeah. We were sort of the house band. Uh, yeah. We were like sort of like playing for the show. Like there was there was the big wrestling match. It's um, mayhem on the Danforth, and it was amazing. It was an amazing show. Um, and at one point, there was a wrestler named Atlas or uh, play, <laughs> nice. Playboy Atlas, and he was wearing like big. He's the biggest man I've ever seen in my life. And like <laughs> he got on stage with us at one point because we were like, "Hey, this next song is called Atlas," and hey, look, it's Atlas right over there. And he got up and he just started flexing and. It, <laughs> It was very That's right. surreal. Yeah. Mid-song, he lifted Nick's shirt to check out his abs. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's no errors really going with that, but it was, just a, it was a crazy story that Michael mentioned. I had to, had to bring that up. Um, so uh, to bring it back to the show, on the show, we've been talking about how very specific degrees can sometimes make it harder for people to engage with kind of the full range of interests that they might have. So do you feel that your interest in tech, or at least I should say, one of you is not so much in tech, uh, uh, David? Um, just happy to be here. <laughs> Um, so do you think that your interest in tech and, and David, I guess you can comment on this from the outside, but do you think it's been hard to juggle your kind of artistic ambitions, uh, with, with your music? Are they something that complement each other? I know that you mentioned, uh, that some of your stuff is, is developed in garage band. So, I mean, there is a somewhat technical side to putting this together. Um, well, I think, uh, I think something that surprises people a lot when I talk about like programming, uh, is that I, I, like I find most programming to be a similar experience to making art. Right. Like it's not that I'm like expressing myself or expressing complicated emotions when programming, but it's a similar mindset, like a similar, they don't, they're not two completely distinct things for me. Um, that being so like, I mean, it, it certainly is like, it's always hard to find time to, you know, like do work and be in a band and stuff like that, but we all manage just, just fine. But, uh, nice. yeah, I just, I've just never, never really thought of the two things as being as distinct and as separate as a lot of people. I find them there. really similar because in like my job really is problem solving. Um, often you have all the components and you have to piece them together to make sense of, out of something. And with band, yes, there's a huge creative process of like coming up with uh, something really cool, but then eventually you have all these pieces and you gotta put them together into a song. So it, to me, it's kind of very similar mindset of problem solving and how to make something sound really good given what you got. Right, there you go. Um, so you, you, you've hit 100,000 streams. I don't know how much higher it's gotten since that number came out on a Spotify play, playlist. So, you know, you might not quite be shipping off to Cleveland for Hall of Fame induction, but by local band standards, certainly campus band standards, you could certainly lay claim to uh, having made it. And so I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, how, how much of that 
is luck, like you had no idea what happened and how much of that was strategic. I noticed that you have a sort of very professional website sort of re re relative to the amount of songs that you've released. Well, the professional website just just comes from the fact that some of us are web developers. So that one, <laughs> it <laughs> helps. That would help. Um, but I think a large portion of it, I think a large portion of that is, is luck. Um, we've actually spent a lot of time talking about like, you know, the, the, the deterministic nature of the popularity of songs and like whether if you release a song is it like guaranteed to do really well or does it have to get picked up by somebody and I think for the Spotify thing like it's, it's pretty clear that what happened was people started listening to it it got on a couple of like algorithmically generated playlists um, because it was trending and then from there somebody I don't, we don't know somebody picked it up and put it on their own playlist and then it just kind of snowballs from there um, so I think like yeah I mean we were super happy with it if we released the same song uh, like now I, I don't it's, it's unclear like that might not happen again sure and and and, and would you say that your, your group as a whole m might have the advantage of being sort of more aware of these algorithms than other bands or does being aware not help that much because there's still we, so much you don't I, control I wish we could say that we had leveraged our understanding mm. of the algorithmically generated <laughs> playlist to like hack our own success but uh <laughs> There's no real way to hack it, really. You just have to release stuff that people like. You have to talk yeah. about it um, to people who care, and that's it. There's and just be active. There's really nothing crazy you could do otherwise. Yeah. The most, I think, the most important part is likability. <laughs> right, and certainly you had you had a you had had. It was, the first song was indeed likable. It did do very well uh, from the moment it was released. And that, that last song that we heard was that single. It was the song uh, Nomu. But the next song we're going to play is is uh, Atlas. Now, do you want to introduce that song? Tell us a bit about it. Nick? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I just, uh, this is a song we're kind of we're kind of trying to stay in the same theme, trying to release something that like is a is a natural progression natural follow-up from Nomu, um, but with enough different stuff to keep people interested. Uh, right. This song, Michael like wrote, yeah, has been toying around with it, and then we all workshopped it in the same way we did the last one. A little bit, it like, varies a little bit from a pop song. It's in 6-4, which is like pretty fun to play. Um, <laughs> the lyrics are kind of vaguely inspired by this awesome book called Worm, which is like one of my favorite books. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was fun. Yeah. yeah. I think overall the song is very much like each individual member of the band has had a really good part of building this song, which yeah. is, is fun because, you know, not all songs are written that way. Now, it was written alongside Nomu, or, or was it written afterwards? Uh, it was written I alongside. Uh, we, that, yeah. we went through, like, many different iterations, like we do with every song. Right. Um, <laughs> we have some songs that we've been working on for, like, three years. Uh, well, yeah, we, they, they were kind of being worked on at the same time. I think uh, at the time we wanted to release a song, we decided that Noma was the one we're going to focus on more for recording. And then Atlas was the next one. All right, so before we play that song, where can they find you if they want to uh, follow along your your inevitable rise just uh look up good kid band on on google and you can find our facebook uh we're, we pretty much announce everything there mm -hmm. and yeah we're up on we spotify got, now as well yeah spotify and google play and instagram and nice we got all, we got all the things <laughs> cover all the bases <laughs> uh, so um all right then uh we'll we'll get to that song now so this has been uh, our interview with good kid thanks all three of you three of the five for joining us thanks for having us um yeah, and thanks, uh, thanks. thanks a lot and here is that latest single we were talking about a moment ago here's the song atlas you're listening to caut 89.5 Something, how can you ever 
understand it all And baby, if you're built on sand You'll be swept back by the fall Baby, if you don't stand for something I can you grab a rope to hold the weight of everything you want Maybe if you build your house on sand You can burrow the deeper Maybe you can cave on you alone Swear I did, I tried, I swear I did Thousand times a lady lie, thousand times a lady lie Swear I did, I tried, I swear I did Thousand times a lady lie, thousand times a lady lie Welcome back. You're listening to CIUT 89.5. We were just interviewing the band Good Kid. It's a big deal. You should check out, check them out. Uh, they gave you all the spots you can find them. Basically, type Good Kid Band into Google, and uh, you'll be well on your way. It's a great band, so uh, be sure to follow their rise. Yeah, so we're winding down on the program. We're going to leave you with one more song. I think it's a great political song. Obviously, great, great one. We have a chance to play those on Leading Tone. It's a song called What Did You Learn in School? It was written by Tom Paxton. It's performed here by Pete Seeger. Unfortunately, you know, Fraser is sort of angry at me in some ways for this choice, and we don't really have yeah. time for a debate. Yeah, no, he, he loves me. It's, it's all in jest, I'm sure. <laughs> the, the idea here basically is I've noticed that in some tech streams at my time at the University of Toronto, engineering, for instance, I noticed a lot of sort of pro status quo thinking. And of course, Fraser's gonna say there's not necessarily a problem with that. That's, you know, a valid political opinion. But what concerns me is I think that status quo thinking comes from a certain kind of education, an education that tells you how to build a system and doesn't teach you to think about a system, an education that tells you how to build pipelines, you know, what whether questioning, you know, whether we should have an economy built on pipelines in the first place. Anyway, we don't really have time to talk that much, so enjoy Pete Seeger and his banjo with What Did You Learn in School? You're listening to Leading Tone on CIUT 89.5. What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? I learned that Washington never told a lie I learned that soldiers seldom die I learned that everybody's free That's what the teacher said to me 
that's what I learned in school today, that's what I learned in school. What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? I learned that policemen are my friends, I learned that justice never ends, I learned that murderers die for the crimes, even if we make a mistake sometime, and that's what I learned in school today, that's what I learned in school. What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? I learned our government must be strong, it's always right and never wrong. Our leaders are the finest men, and we elect them again and again. And that's what I learned in school today, that's what I learned in school. What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? I learned that war is not so bad, I learned about the great ones we have had. We fought in Germany and in France, and someday I might get my chance. That's what I learned in school today, that's what I learned in school. That brings us to the end of the show. This has been Leading Tone, the show that brings you the rhythm behind the revolution. Thanks to Good Kid for stopping by in studio to talk with us. Uh, it was great to hear from them. You can find their latest single, Atlas, which you heard a moment ago, uh, by searching them, up, searching them up on Google. You can also like their Facebook page. So be sure to follow them. And uh, I guess that brings yeah, us and, and us follow the end. us as well. Leading yeah. Tone on 89.5 FM CIUT. Thanks to the members again of Good Kid for coming in. Thanks to Sophia for doing an awesome job of producing the show. As always, here's your dial tone. For the record, I don't want to hang out with you anymore when this is over. When this is what, Brian? Over. I said I don't want to hang out with you anymore when this is over. When this is what? you got to finish your sentence. Over. That's it. My sentence is over. Your sentence is what, Brian? Over. My sentence is... Wait a minute. I have to say over even if the sentence ends with the word over? Ends with the word what, Brian? Over. Oh, I see the wire. You see the wire what? Over. Over! <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.